Welcome to Sense by Meg Fora, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Fora, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads, just like you, to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the ParentSense app, and catch Make Here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back, mums and dads, to Sense by Meg Fora. I'm Meg Fora, and I am your guide going through the first couple of years of your baby's life. And each week on this podcast, I'm joined sometimes by an expert, and this week by an expert mum, because she is <laughs> mum to almost an 11-month-old. And we've been following Cassidy and baby Max all the way from the beginning. I mean, I can't believe we spoke when Max was, I think, seven days old or six days old. That was week one. And now he's nearly 11 months. So welcome back, Cass. Lovely to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much. How is our big boy doing? I cannot believe it's almost been a year. I mean, I'm absolutely floored by that. So how's he doing? Well, he is officially a walker. Oh, my <laughs> word. It had to happen before a year. And actually, congratulations to you for letting it w- wait for this long. Yeah. He looked at nine months. He looked like he was going to walk, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And actually, I was speaking to someone this morning about it because we did work quite hard when he first started showing signs of wanting to walk. Mm. We work quite hard at kind of trying to keep developing the crawling stage and that sort of thing. But he's been on the cusp for a while, but you could very much tell it was a confidence thing. He just, he could do it. He knew what he had to do, but he didn't want to not be holding on. He sort of just, he just needed that reassurance of whether it be his trolley or our hand or whatever it might be. But no, the other day he actually moved from one place to another by himself. And he is so proud of himself (laughs) every time he does it. (laughs) So were you there to see those first few steps? Yeah, actually, what was so nice is it was one evening when Alex and I had both got back from work. We would, Every evening we sit with him for about 45 minutes before he goes for his bath, just the two of us with him and we play or whatever it might be. And mm. it was during that time. So we were both there for it. Oh, precious boy. That's absolutely incredible. Yeah. So he, he he did it, what, 10 and a half months, 10 months, three weeks? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, about. 10 and a half months it would be mm-hmm. that he okay. he did it he had taken sort of one or maybe at a push two steps before but mm-hmm. it, it, it didn't really count this was mm-hmm. proper several steps yeah. yeah yeah you know I, I'm getting into the heads of the mums who are listening and I know that there is often a lot of pressure to get little ones walking in fact certainly where I come from in South Africa there's this thing about getting children into shoes particularly in certain cultures in South Africa getting children into shoes getting them up and walking you know it's it's almost like crawling or being on the floor is seen as something more primitive that maybe a different a more primitive animal would do and so therefore walking is a reflection of this more advanced primate as a 
it were. But actually, and so people might be confused when they're listening to you and I talking about us trying to keep Max crawling for as long as possible. And I just wanted to explain the rationale there in case anybody hadn't heard that episode. And if you haven't listened, I think that was about two or three episodes ago, Cass and I spoke about the fact that, fact that Max was looking like he was going to walk. And we spoke about how we wanted to try and keep him crawling. And the reason for that is that crawling is such an advantageous developmental milestone. Little ones are on all fours, which means that they develop fine motor arches in their hands. They're developing their shoulder girdle, which both of which is important for fine motor coordination. They're getting the messages going across the brain, across their corpus callosum, because they're moving their body reciprocally. In other words, one side doing opposite to the other side. And then it also develops early maths ability because it develops spatial abilities by trying to fit in and under and so on. So there's a million reasons why crawling is a very important milestone and why Cass actually worked very hard at trying to keep Max in that space. And Cass, I'm guessing and I'm betting that he still is probably doing a fair amount of that anyway. Yeah, especially if he wants to get somewhere fast. The crawling yeah. is his go-to. And I, I mean, he yeah, if he wants to get somewhere quickly, he, he'll go down and, and crawl there. And also, interestingly, it's almost like he is more aware of surfaces. So if it's carpeted, he'll give the crawling, he'll give the walking a go. But if it's sort of on our hard kitchen floor, mm. I've noticed he does less walking there. Fascinating. So I don't know if, now that could just be, a coincidence mm. but it feels like he is more confident on carpet than he yeah. is on a very hard surface now whether as I say whether that is because he's aware that I, I could really hurt myself I have hurt myself <laughs> here but and the other thing is he does much better if he doesn't have a specific destination that he's going mm. to if he just sort of is randomly walking because if he has a destination he gets a bit overexcited and starts to lead head first <laughs> And then that's more likely to fall over. So, and then Uh, he'll end up having to crawl. So, very precious. Well, there you go. He's got his first bipedal milestone. His next one is going to be running. Yes. And then, which will happen definitely before 18 months. And then after that comes jumping and two feet jumping actually only really happens where two feet leave the feet, leave the ground together only really happens after three years old. So um, we've got a while while to go for that. And then there's skipping, of course, which will come even later. That's like four or five years old. So he's got a long list of bipedal activities that will be coming down the line for him. So that covers our first gross motor milestone. Um, Before we go on to your questions, and I'm sure you do have a couple, I just wondered how things are going on the verbal front. Is he understanding language? Is he saying anything? Because that's, of course, another milestone that at this age, we start to see little explosions. Yeah. So that's actually really interesting because I wouldn't necessarily say he was saying anything, but he has noises that he very much, so for example, when he sees my parents' dogs, there is a specific noise and pitch that he goes to (laughs) that is only reserved for the dogs but then we were he was at a play date the other day and my friend said oh my god he just said dog no I don't think he did (laughs) but she was hearing things that I hadn't necessarily heard but I think it's because I just hear a noise and I know what he's referring to so I am able to start understanding him in his different Mm. noises now but the other thing that he, he definitely does understand yes. that he is, we've discussed this in the past, he is pushing boundaries. And the mm. really interesting thing is we have a constant battle with the dog's water bowl. And it only seems to be when I'm around. So he stayed at, he was at my mum's um, for the whole day on Tuesday. I, when I dropped him off and it was just me there, he 
kept pushing the boundary and going to the water bowl, going to the water bowl. And I had to keep saying no and removing him, distracting him, trying all the different things. I went down to his level, spoke to him, all <laughs> the things I've seen. And then he didn't do it all day. And then when I came to pick him up, he almost thing. immediately went straight to the water bowl. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so funny. Why? I do not know. I'm hoping. This yeah, is- well, I mean, I would definitely say that that's him working out that he gets attention for that. And that's because you're doing all the right things, which is the distraction and going down on his level and making eye contact. But you probably are making a little bit too much of a meal out of something that, you know, you should probably otherwise just leave. So my suggestion is to either completely ignore it and decide that it's fine for him to to do that with the dog's water bowl and just do it, maybe move the dog's water bowl outside as long as the amount of water is not something he can drown in, you know, mm. and, and it's an interesting one because it's, I, if, I don't know if you've ever heard any of my talks on that, but it's often one that I bring up, like the upending the dog's water bowl. It's just a thing. And I mean, my firstborn was a son as well. And that was his thing. He just had to upend the dog's water bowl. It was just what he had to do. And so we had just had to keep filling it up. So option one is to completely ignore it. Just put it outside. So it's not, you're not going to flood your mum's beautiful Persian carpets or anything, but just have it where he can actually do it and where you can ignore it. Option one. Option two is just move it out of, out of his way. So like lift it up, put it on a higher level and dogs will just have to have water in the evening or when he's not around. Because I think by going in and reinforcing you know, and, and giving him feedback, giving him feedback on it, you're actually reinforcing it positively for him. And he thinks this is something that he needs to, you know, continue to do or that he gets attention from. And of course, if you've been out all day and have been at work, then that's even more reason for him to then go in for the water bowl because he, he really does want that attention. So my suggestion is ignore or take it away completely. You know, it isn't time for discipline at this age. It really just isn't. And, you know, it's not going to serve any purpose to be shouting at him or whatever other methods you would want to use for, you know, it's, it's just not going to serve any purpose at 10 months old. Yeah. And, and I think it is weighing these sorts of things up, but he definitely does understand. No, he understands signals as well. Like if I beckon, so mm. with finger, he knows that that means to come to him. And there, so there are certain things he understands. He's definitely making noise. So he's using all, I mean, the chatting that goes yeah. on, it might not make any sense, but yeah. chat, chat, chat. he's even got, a hoarse voice at the moment because <laughs> from shouting it at somebody shouted so much so, so he does he loves a good yeah. chit chat and he there's constantly new noises coming yeah. through he says mama and dada sometimes in the perfect situation Context. you feel yeah. like it is actually aimed yeah. at us and other times it's so random you think oh okay maybe yeah. not <laughs> Well, of course, you know, language is, I think, one of the most important aspects of development. And in fact, right at the beginning, when Max was only six weeks old, I told you that my favorite milestone was smiling. And the reason that it is so important is that it is a social milestone. It's, you know, it's just, it's the precursor to language, really. But language is so incredible because it actually, I mean, it is not uniquely human, but certainly the way in which we communicate is uniquely human. And it takes taking a thought that's in my head to be able to transfer it into your mind. That That is what language is all about. So at this age, we know that language, that he is understanding, the language center that actually kind of rules over receptive language runs about six to eight months ahead of expressive language. So he's understanding now what he will be able to say in six to eight months time. So he's understanding a huge amount mm. and he's reflecting that. The other thing that's very interesting about what you said is that when you beckon him with your finger, he, he knows that that means come. And signing is, you know, became very fashionable in the early noughties, you know, kind of 2004. 
2005, it was very popular to to do signing classes with your baby. And I think it's maybe somewhat less in at the moment, but it's really interesting. I actually did a signing class with my third child and abandoned it. And the reason I abandoned it was that I found that it was just adding too much pressure to what was already for me a very pressurized time of life, just keeping her alive, keeping her fed, dealing with sleep deprivation, you know, whatever it was, that was enough for me. So I didn't go with this, with the signing, but little ones of his age certainly can learn to sign. And it is worth teaching them the the basic signs like thank you and please and more because they can then actually start to communicate. I'm thirsty. um, Those are certainly ways. And then of course, the other way they communicate is through things like pointing. So they point at the fridge and they actually, there's a lot of nonverbal communication that goes on. What's key in all of that, whether it's expressive language or separate receptive language or signing is this what we call serve and return, that he says something to you, whether it's through a sign, a sound, or a word, and you say, wait, and then you say something back. So it's that backwards and forwards, and you can think of a game of tennis, you know, one person serving, the other person returning the serve. And that is really what's magical. And that's almost more important right now than whether or not he's saying mama in the correct context. It's that there is serve and return happening. And, you know, I think a key stimulation strategy at this age is to actually focus in on that, that when he is communicating and case in point, your friend who said that he said dog, you know, actually going back. And when you hear a word that you think might even vaguely sound like it to actually go in and repeat it back to them, because that is all that reinforcement of the principle that you've actually said something that has meaning. And then also of the actual word itself, which is obviously a higher level. So yeah, we definitely bedding down all those foundations. And I'm going to be excited to hear when he says his first word that, you know, absolutely decisively is in context. And I'm going to put money on the fact that it's going to be data because <laughs> that's what <Yeah>. they do. <laughs> well, and that's it. when he sees Alex, he does seem to say dada. Mm. Then he'll say dada when Alex isn't around. So I don't know if he's saying like, where is dada or, yeah. <laughs> but, and we have, we've sort of started saying things like, yeah, you know, especially even when he makes his noise that we've realized now is associated with something will mm say yes and then say the actual word mm. to try and sort of help him along that way and little things like when he's dancing we'll say you're dancing and then he'll look and he'll dance harder yeah <laughs> and amazing so he like really that. does understand that shows the understanding and you know I've got this great video that I show in a lot of my courses that I do of a little one playing is it called hello tom or something it's like a little app where you tickle the cat's tummy and the cat purrs and you say something to the cat and it, it repeats it back to you it's a it's a really inane game as most games are on iPads. Anyway, but there's this incredible video of this baby who's playing with Hello Tom or whatever this ba- this cat is called and he tickles the tummy and Tom purrs and then he says, hello, and Tom comes back and kind of says, hello, but it's, it's completely not in a language context. It's just echolalic, which is just repeating. And it always makes me feel so sad because actually what that baby's doing is utterly magical. It's, you know, it's that first rudimentary communication with meaning. Hey, oh. And instead of having somebody go, hello, my love, and how are you today? Or did you say hello? He's got a cat just going, hey, oh, like just, you know, flat tone and really no emotion. And that's one of the reasons why I am so vehemently anti-technology and apps, because sometimes parents think, oh my goodness, he must be learning to speak from hello, Tom, or whatever this this app is called. And actually, echolalia has got nothing to do with learning because echolalia does not involve serve and return. And in fact, echolalia 
is something that autistic children can do. So, so autistic children can repeat back words with no meaning, with no context, with no emotion really well. And that doesn't mean that they've got language at all. It means that they've got echolalia. And of course, what we're wanting from our kids is language, which has meaning, which has emotion, which, which is reciprocal and which has a serve and return. So that's why it's so critically important, you know, to really be in tune with, 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 what, with how they're talking, even when it doesn't make sense. Well, it suits me. Very, I've always talked to myself a lot. So now Max is making me look slightly less insane in public, <laughs> particularly on the Waitrose shop. He has a full monologue of everything that we're doing. <laughs> this episode is brought to us by ParentSense, the all-in-one baby and parenting app that helps you make the most of your baby's first year. Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? When to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips, and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting. Well, you know what's so interesting about that? Now, there was research that was done where they looked at verbal IQs of children born to different types of mums. And you and I are both very chatty mums. We, we, we both are talkers. Um, it's, it's right out there. And I can quite imagine you walking down the aisle in Waitrose and talking away through your shopping list. I sometimes do too. So mums who are chatty, it has been found, naturally have children with higher verbal IQs. And that re- was a really important finding. And the reason it's such an important finding is that your verbal IQ, sadly, is often the way that your intelligence is judged. Because uh, we, we know that IQ has is, is really not a predictor of success and it's not a predictor of intelligence per se at all. I mean, there's, there's so many other aspects to intelligence, like emotional intelligence and nonverbal intelligence. But verbal intelligence is because it's out there, Children who have good verbal intelligence are judged to be cleverer. And children who have mums who are chatty are more likely to have higher verbal IQs. And so that bodes very well for Max and bodes well for my children. But the mums who are listening who just don't talk and who are more silent, it it, it really is a hard concept to hear. And what I always say to those mums is that you it is important. There's no two ways about it. But what you should be doing is doing exactly what you do when you're walking through Waitrose. And that is create a monologue around what you're doing in your life. So, right, we're going to change your nappy now. Let's see what's inside this nappy. Oh, my goodness. Let's see what that is. Let's take out some wipes. Let's, let's count how many scoops of formula. Whatever it is, you know, you kind of have this rolling rhetoric that goes on. And that's actually how you do develop language. So, yes, I think Max Max's, Max's language is going to bode very well on that basis. And the other thing that's great is he loves books. You know, he really mm. loves us reading, but he'll sit mm. quietly and read them as well. Uh-huh. And I've heard, you know, that that reading a book repetitively is, is great for that development as well. So important. So important. Yeah, it really yeah, is. So. Yeah. And he, we've often talked about his favourite toys, but he has gone to a whole new level with loving balls. Like oh. He maintained himself for hours, just yeah. chasing a ball, chasing a ball. And we had a really lovely moment. We were at mum and dad's and he actually, the, our dog there loves balls as well. And he would bring the ball back to Max. Oh. Max would kind of do this throw, I'm using inverted commas, because it was sort of a I don't Pushing know, what tried, yeah. but it was an attempt at a throw Brilliant. and the dog would get the ball, bring it back to Max. It's and incredible. this was for about 15 minutes back. Oh, my word. 
Yeah, which is really, really lovely. And then actually when we were at the same play date that I spoke about earlier, Max had more fun playing with the dog because this dog had a ball. <laughs> well, it's quite fascinating, you know. I, I mean, it's it's really fascinating what you're talking about because play has milestones as well, just like walking and talking have milestones, but play has milestones. And the milestone that he's in at the moment is what we call solitary play. They really don't aren't really playing with another friend. So if there was a friend sitting next to Max, they would be doing either solitary play or parallel play, which means that they're doing their own thing, playing with themselves. They might be playing the same thing, but they're certainly not playing together. That comes later and that's developmentally appropriate. But what he's doing with the dog is really interesting because actually he's using cause and effect, which has actually developed now because cause and effect comes around about eight to 10 months old. So he's established that, which is if I push the ball, the ball will come back to me. And that's that's the sort of thing that they do, you know, when a baby's sitting in a high chair and they drop a rattle on the floor and it gets picked up for them a million times and everyone gets frustrated. It's actually just cause and effect. That's what they're doing. They're just saying, if I drop that, do you give it back to me? And he effectively is using cause and effect with the dog, but is starting to move to out of just parallel play into cooperative play, which I think is completely fascinating. So yeah. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I was impressed with the dog as well. I mean, yeah, good dog. <laughs> good babysitter. Yeah, exactly. Because he's not usually quite so generous with his ball. But, um, um, but yeah, so that's been, that's been really interesting to watch. But one of the areas that I can't, so there were two questions actually with play, building blocks. Mm. He loves to bash them down. Mm-hmm. But I can't remember when I was pregnant, I seem to remember someone telling me that there's a certain age where they should really get to the point that they're also building as well as knocking down. Is that quite a way off? That's quite a way off. Yeah. Okay, good. yeah it certainly in my is. mind, it was a year and I thought, no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. So, so there's a couple of things that have to happen in terms of, of stacking a tower. The first thing that has to happen is that a baby has to be able to grasp a toy, which happens before six months. Then they've got to be able to release a toy, which happens six to eight months. Then they've got to start to be able to coordinate and they've got to have shoulder girdle control. They've got to have their shoulder has to have control. Their elbow has to have control. Their forearm has to have control. And then they've got to actually coordinate a grip to let go. And even with a very large block to actually do that and put it on top of another block is really difficult. Now, when you're grading activities, as an occupational therapist, we we spend our time learning how to grade activities. But one of them is to go from big to small. So what you can do is you can start off with a block that's slightly bigger, like for instance, a tissue box. You know, put one tissue box on top of another tissue box, and that's a really big block effectively that then will actually balance and it won't it won't fall off. So you can start off with bigger blocks and then obviously go down. But the small blocks, my goodness, you're only really looking at that when they're about 18 months old, two years old, that they're starting to actually release and let go. So no, don't worry. He's he's definitely not delayed in that aspect. And the knocking down is actually the important thing right now. So that's perfect that he's doing that. Well, if he can destroy anything, he's he's doing really well on the development of destroying (laughs) (laughs) Max the Destroyer. In fact, we were at a play group the other day and they have one of those sort of outdoor connect for, I don't know if you've seen them, but they're quite large sort of connect for games. And he basically moved the whole thing in one go. Like like it was like the Incredible Hulk had come to play. It was ridiculous. But talking of looking ahead and then being ready, when is it that they drop the morning sleep? Okay, so t- is he having two or three at the moment? Two. Okay. Yeah, so he, they move from three sleeps to two sleeps at nine months. Mm-hmm. And they move from two sleeps to one sleep 
at 12 to 14 months. Okay. So he's a little bit way away off and I would not recommend dropping it if you can help it. He can barely make it to two and a half hours for his yes. first sleep. Yes. No, that's right. But for the rest of the day, he can do three and a half, no problem. But That's the- also correct. I can't yeah. see anytime soon him being able to drop. So no. I- 12 months didn't seem that far away and so I wasn't no. sure. No, no, no. So so this is how it happens. So he, he will stick with that two and a half hours now. So he'll probably only just make it to nine o'clock now and then have his first sleep then. And then, as you said, stretch for the next maybe three and a half hours and have the next sleep between 12 and one. And then and that'll take him through until about 2.30. And then he's got a big stretch to go from 2.30 or three until bedtime. And, and that's typical for this age. And kind of just after nine months, that long stretch to bedtime is tricky. And so you often have to bring bedtime forward. But as they move towards a year, they're better able to cope with that long stretch in the late afternoon. And so that's absolutely perfect. And that will stay in place until he's 12 months old for certain. And then between 12 and 14 months, what will happen is that he'll start to show you a couple of signs. The first one is that he starts to fight the second sleep. So he might go down for that 9.30 or 9 o'clock sleep. But when it comes to that kind of 1 1 o'clock sleep, he'll just fight it and he won't want to go down. And then you'll start to have situations where you've kind of got him falling asleep at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, which is a pain. And you can't keep him awake. His head falls into his food in the evening type tiredness. And then you can't get him down in the evening. So it he starts to mess with that day, number one. Number two, if he does go down for that day sleep, he starts to mess with bedtime. So he starts to not want to go down at seven. He wants to now go down at 7.30 and push that out. Number three, he might start to pull back his morning wake time from six to five to four. So really early in the morning. And number four, the fourth sign that they can show is that they do an hour in the middle of the night wide awake for no reason. So now he wakes up, he's wide awake and takes him an hour to settle. When the one of those four things is is showing up quite regularly, then it can be a sign that he actually is ready to drop a day of sleep. But it, I would never recommend it before a year. So you would never drop to one sleep before a year. And many babies only do it at about 14 months. Then what you do is you don't just drop asleep. You don't just say, right, we're not doing the nine o'clock sleep or no, we're not going to do the 12 o'clock sleep. What you do is you merge them both at a time at about obviously obviously 11 in the morning. So what happens is the nine becomes a mission because as you said, he's absolutely dog tired, but you push him forward until let's say 11 o'clock. You give him a nice big snack before 11 and then he has a sleep from about 11 until one. And then at about four in the afternoon, if you have to, you give him the tiniest cat nap, like literally 15 minutes if necessary. And if he doesn't have it, then you pull bedtime forward. And it's a little bit of kind of hit and miss for a few days. Some days he'll do two, some days he'll do one, you know, kind of backwards and forwards. And then eventually after about a month, they've then have gone down to one sleep at about 11, 11.30, and then eventually 12 o'clock. And that becomes your toddler routine going forward is a 12 o'clock sleep. I mean, none of that fills me with any joy. <laughs> <laughs> not, not one of those four situations <laughs> sound joyful. <laughs> I know. But they're the things that you need to know so that you know when he's showing you the signals. But don't worry, you've got two months, you've got two months, which is almost a quarter of his life. So don't, you know, it's, it's not, it, it is quite, a period of time. You, you've got a quarter of his life to look forward to still. And then he is going to do that shift for sure. But then that's it. 
And then that's it. And then, well, then the next shift comes. So then your next cusp age comes. And the next one's quite interesting because for some babies, it happens like at two and a half years old. And for other babies, like my middle child, she kept her midday sleep until she was six years old. I mean, she was an anomaly. But most babies between about two and four years old will drop that midday sleep. And then one of the principles there for the toddler moms who are listening, you have got to keep a midday rest. And that is an important principle. So that is a time of day where, the, where regardless of whether they sleep, you're just going to, they have to go to their room and they can play with Legos or, or do play on their bed, or they can read a book or they can do anything they want. They don't have to sleep, but they have to be in their room. And for any moms who, um, who, who have a second baby, that becomes kind of a lot of respite because you're then actually able to sleep at midday alongside them. And even if you don't have a second baby, it just gives you some downtime where you know they're going to have a sleep. But that's very important, that midday rest. It doesn't have to be a sleep after two, but it does need to be a rest. Good day, good day. <laughs> Just to come full circle back to the walking thing, topic of shoes. Mm. And I wondered from a developmental perspective, at the moment he's in bare feet all the time. It's summer mm. and, you know, that sort mm. of thing. But should, now he started walking, is it better to get him shoes as soon as possible or not, or avoid for as long as possible? So I personally like the very soft soled leather shoes. They're almost like booties, like soft knitted booties, except they're leather. And the bottom of them is generally a non-slip suede. So if you've got the non-slip suede on the bottom and the leather on the top, in South Africa, there's a brand called Shoe Shoes. I'm actually not sure of the brand or what it would be in the UK, but I really like those. But when I say they're soft soled, they have absolutely no salt. It's literally just leather flipped the other way so they don't slip. So it's the suede side. And the top is is very soft like a booty. Definitely no form, no hard soles at this age. You know, you often see little ones because, of course, those very expensive, you know, 59-pound Adidas tackies that you can buy for a you know, thousand rand shoes that you could buy for babies that they've outgrown three weeks are absolutely ridiculous. They're not, they're, first of all, they're a complete waste of money. But second of all, they're really not good for little one's feet. So absolutely no need for shoes. I do prefer barefoot. If they're not barefoot, then the soft-soled leather shoes is the way to go. I do think that they do need them because what will happen in the next two to three months is that you'll be walking around Waitrose and he won't want to stay in the trolley anymore and, you know, in the pushing, in, in the shopping trolley. So then you are going to need shoes because unfortunately there can be hazards. So it's not so much about, you know, I mean, I, I, I feel nothing for dirt, but I am more worried about hazards like somebody's dropped a glass bottle somewhere or a dog's pooed somewhere, you know, that, that, that's when you are going to need shoes. But barefoot for me is something that's really fabulous for little one's feet. And those soft-soled booties, are they strong enough to to deal with those had like broken glass? Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they would be absolutely fine. They would be fine. I mean, a massive shard of broken glass or a rusty nail that's sticking yeah. up out of a piece of wood probably would come through. But I wouldn't, you know, for that, I wouldn't be going, I wouldn't be, uh, you know, not using them. I would be still be sticking with those. Yeah, and hopefully I would see that before he'd put his foot on it so because I'm developing eyes in the back of my head yes you have to he's at that age well I did tell you this but you probably don't recall is that for me the most exhausting period of time in my baby's lives was nine to 18 months I just felt like I was 
permanently on on high alert. They were completely dangerous. They didn't know what they were doing. They were moving, particularly James, because he started walking at nine months, much to my um, dismay. They're a disaster and it's exhausting. It's just absolutely exhausting. And then they get to 18 months and they just suddenly, they're a bit more sensible. They're a bit more human. They have an understanding. You can say words. They can, you know, they'll push boundaries because they'll be toddlers, but it's this stage, which is just exhausting. So, Well, I'm quite glad I'm moving out of the finger walking, the back breaking, having to lean forward and yes. fingers. I'm very glad that that is slowly moving further and further yeah. behind us. <laughs> yeah, and that he's now a walker. That's amazing. Well, Cass, as always, it's been amazing to chat to you. I mean, I'm loving going back and listening to our talks from earlier on right. in his development because it's just been an incredible journey to to watch the absolute miracle of human development through you and Max's eyes. So thank you for sharing it. No, thank you very much. And yeah, I'm the same. I've been going back and listening to them. And it's amazing at the time, it seems, if there are any new mums out there at the time, it seems so horrific. But now when I'm listening back, I think, oh gosh, I'd completely forgot it. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. And that's why we go on and have second babies because we have selective memories. (laughs) Exactly. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> this through the 17 week seat regression, which I think is the podcast I last listened to. Yeah. And that's a hell of a thing. Yeah. That, and I think that's what we all fear the most. I mean, I, I remember I, my biggest fear was a baby having colic because I had treated such colicky babies and I was like, oh, no, I don't want to have a baby with colic. And somehow my babies didn't. Oh, James had a bit of a 17 week sleep regression, but moms seem to fear it a lot. Um, I know. Anyway, Cass, lovely to chat and we'll chat again in the next couple of weeks. Yes. Good. Goodness knows what he'll be doing by then. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to put money on him saying a word. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Cass. Cheers. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.